sentenced to death, a desperate man sentences. Let me start that up. <laughs> Simpsons. We didn't watch any Simpsons. <laughs> sentenced to death, a desperate man sentences himself to invisibility. It's the invisible man returns. Mafia, wake up, wake up. You have created a monster and it will destroy you. Except for, well, we, I guess we did see him at the very end. Oh, we do see him at the end. And we see him in the rain, too. Oh, yeah, and um, the smoke. And the smoke. Man, what this a, guy's in a, a lot of places. Isn't what he? a role he played in this film. I mean, this, this film's got a lot of nudity in it, that's for sure. <laughs> I kind of liked it for that. A lot of nudity. I thought they could have played more with that, actually. Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, this this film probably has some stiff competition <laughs> with the other one for nudity. <laughs> a little stiff. But, uh, <laughs> Welcome back to the Monsters vs. Men podcast. This is the bargain basement of Monster Podcasting Airwaves. This week, as we try to stay alive, we're discussing The Invisible Man Returns. And with me today, I've got the struggling invisible hamster himself, Alex. <laughs> Joined by the naked in the rain, Eric. <laughs> hey, I like to be comfortable. What can I say? Yeah. Might make others uncomfortable, but I like I like the comfort. <laughs> There's nothing like going out to your backyard naked in the rain. What can That's I say? right. That's right. Yeah. You're, <laughs> your neighbors never have any complaints. Nope. Nope. Never had the cops called on me. No, nope, not once. <laughs> it's just weird to have the flashes on their camera go off whenever you just happen to be out there. Very true. Very true. <laughs> There's capture in the moment, Alex. It's, it's fine. Um, you have any, <laughs> you have any uh, AMA chats for us to start us off? Oh, any AMA chats? Yeah, we, we do have some uh, things that have totally been asked that I have forgotten to look up. Um, let's as long see. As there's no finger questions again, Alex. No finger questions this time. I, I've double dipped. You know, I did on one podcast. I did on this one to much critical acclaim. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> let's see. I'm looking up my my tweet about quick, quick a question for the podcast. I, oh, no, mm-hmm. I've got some we haven't looked at. Okay. Uh, here's a quick one. Will okay. you do an episode on the Lost World? And then he put in parentheses 25. I don't know what this mm. means, Ken Bachelman, but... I know what it means. Maybe. Oh, 25. The year that 25. the year 1925, Alex. Ah. <laughs> 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 See, y'all gotta lay this out for me, okay? Sometimes I just can't put these things together. <laughs> but... What <laughs> you were thinking immediately of the Lost World Jurassic Park? I'm guessing, Alex. Well, I, I knew that wasn't it, um, but I couldn't think of what it was. So here I am. It's the Lost World coming out in 2025, Alex. The remake. Oh, I can't wait! I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> mm-hmm. But that would actually be a good one. Maybe that would go with our Jurassic Park series Ooh. potentially. Okay, uh, we could potentially do the Lost World there. Uh, that's a great idea, Mr. Bachman. We might have to put that one uh, on our list to cover mm, this yes. year. And then let's see. Oh, here we go. Vin, uh, he sent us three of them. Okay. But I'll go with one of them. Okay. Um, maybe we'll, we'll save the other two for later. 
Here we go. Favorite Batman actor. Now, oh, Eric, I know, I know yours is Clooney. <laughs> Wait, what'd you say? Did you say George Clooney? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, man. It's just the the costume that gets me that I really appreciate about George Clooney's portrayal. So, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, Invisible Man isn't the only hard thing around here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is true. This is true, Alex. Uh, no, it's it's uh, not George Clooney. It is probably Christian Bale, honestly. So, yeah, yeah. Um, I think I gotta go with that as well. I will say Ben Affleck's Batman is pretty great. Um, I really like the character. Uh, it's a shame he didn't get a good movie <laughs> to be in. Actually, I, I take that back. I, I have walked that back on this podcast and on MVM Plus. Um, he's in two good movies, but unfortunately, neither one of those ver- <clears throat> neither one of those versions actually hit theaters <laughs> of either one of those movies. Um. So yeah, he's good on two movies on DVD, um, and yeah, Christian Bale actor. though is stellar. I just yeah. wish you know he's not quite as big as I would like him to be. Kind of something like Pattinson's. He's a little small. But that's okay. I mean, I'm not I'm not a stickler for the whole size thing, but Bat, I feel, I do feel like Ben Affleck's Batman kind of is like he's an imposing force. Now, have you were you up in arms about Pattinson being cast as Batman? Were you one no, of those, that I, group? I, no, no. I, because I've, I I learned my lesson back in 2008 when Heath Ledger was cast as a Joker to not do, oh. to not, <laughs> to really not do that unless somebody is like really, really off. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no. I mean, I know Pattinson's a good actor. Oh, um, yeah. Look. Even if no. I, I haven't seen a lot of his good movies, but I, I've seen a few of the performance moments from some of them and I'm like, that's pretty good. He's yeah. No, he's he's pretty great, honestly. Like in lots of the other things that he's in. I mean, after Twilight, he was in Harry Potter too, right? But mm-hmm. after Twilight, he has done a whole bunch of like smaller independent films with these kind of uh, different directors that have really I think pushed his limits as an actor. Like he wants to push his limits. So I'm really interested to see uh, how he does in the Batman. Though I hear he is a bit hard to work with. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, I, 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 that, that's what I, that's what I, I've read. Um, but we'll see. Who knows? I mean, I just think I think he's like pretty intense. Is, is kind of my feeling um, is that he gets pretty intense. Well, so is Christian Bale. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Christian Bale. Yeah, definitely. That yeah. that move. I mean, being on the set of The Dark Knight. Had to be pretty intimidating, I think. <laughs> I would think so. I would think so. Right? Like. But I'm also going to go ahead. You, you just cut the tension in like scenes in like the interrogation scene. I'm, oh, I'm sure yeah. that was an intense. Like if you were like on the crew, you'd probably like pee your pants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I got to go with Christian Bale for sure with yeah. you. Um, yeah. Those three movies are just so wonderful. I think Batman Begins is underrated. Hmm. And I actually think Dark Knight Rises is underrated. Um, mm. I th- uh, you know, it, it's easy to focus on the Joker because uh, it is such a unbelievable performance. 
But those other two movies really, I don't think, get their due. Mm. Uh, I am not a huge fan of the third one. Um, I think it's just there's just too much. It, it falls into the Nolan trap of too much exposition happening, uh, especially in the final third. I love it. Batman Begins is good. I really like it. I think it's properly rated. And I think The Dark Knight is properly rated as well. And the fact that it's, it, it, in my opinion, is the best Batman movie that's been made thus far. Mm. No question asked. So I, I think it's it's where it deserves to be at the top of that ranking. Okay. There you go. You heard, nice it, you heard it here first. Choices. You heard it here first. The Dark Knight is a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> Look at the hot takes over here. Uh, let's get into our film introduction, though, Alex. All right. The sequel to Invisible Man may be a loose sequel in that its connections are thin, but The Invisible Man Returns definitely builds upon the ideas of the first and takes them in a more serious direction. But does the seriousness work for you, or do you need more comedy to strike the right chord? Yeah. Uh, So, I thought the weakest part of the last film was its attempts at comedy. Uh, You know, a lot of it was kind of off the wall and zany, and it didn't feel like it matched with the uh, all the murder and chaos that he was causing as well. And it just kind of felt a little all over the place whenever it attempted comedy. Um, I think it was just Una O'Connor for you, but yeah. I didn't even want to, I, I almost said her name earlier, and I was like, I don't want to have nightmares, but thanks. Um, so, so totally, this is like striking the right chord for me, though. This movie mm. did. Um, also, they effectively make the invisible man in this film, uh, Jeffrey Radcliffe, a more sympathetic character than the previous one, you know, because you and me both kind of complained, like, they didn't really quite do enough with him because mm-hmm. we didn't know what he was like before. Because um, he's cra- kind of crazy right off the bat. Which I think gives us a really great idea of what his personality is uh, before the madness. You know, when he first shows up to meet uh, Helen, uh, we see him making all these really funny jokes, ghost jokes and that type of thing, uh, making fun of his own predicament. With tinges of a little bit of unhinge, I almost said unhingement. I'll go ahead and use it unhingement, uh, <laughs> where he is like you know yelling at like the dog is immediately irritating him to an mm-hmm. unreasonable degree, and he's like vacillating between these two different personalities. I really like that. Like that, yeah. that's a great moment for me to relate to this character. If you can make, if you can see, if you can make me relate to a character who's like you know kind of self-deprecating in some ways. Um, and making some pretty decent jokes about their current situation, then I, you've got, you're on the right foot for making me look at them as more of a tragic character. that's not in control. So, you know, I'm hooked into the story, uh, because of this, uh, because mm-hmm. of these, and then we go down this road with all these elements that I didn't really expect. Yeah. Like, you know, like solving the murder and all this stuff. But like, what about you? Mm. Uh, was this striking the right chord? Well, I think you're absolutely right about this character, Jeffrey Radcliffe, and creating a more sympathetic character because we do get um, the backstory and we understand why he has had to become invisible. And it's not because he's power hungry, though he becomes it because of uh, side effects. Mm. It's because he's trying to escape his death, right? That automatically 
makes him a sympathetic character. And it's really those first 10 minutes of this film, uh, even though it's purely expositional dialogue between characters that ultimately too aren't too important in the story, it's those first 10 minutes that establish a plot that's really pretty intricate compared to what we've seen so far in the universal monster landscape. Yeah, I think you make a really good point there. This There's a lot going on uh, yeah. in this movie compared to a lot of the other ones. You know, those are kind of like A and B, right? Like we're, this, is, this is your mystery thriller, uh, in a sense, yeah. you know, uh, compared to some of the others. Now, it may not all work, but I, I do appreciate just how layered we get of a story, especially like those first 10 minutes. You're already setting up some things that I'm cared about that I'm caring about and that I'm engaged with. If you got a man on death row that's innocent and you know, he's got two hours until his death. Okay. Well I'm hooked. I want to see what happens now. Yeah. Right. Um, and I think that first, those first 30 minutes are some of the best 30 minutes of the film. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, um, it, and it's kind of like you said, like there is maybe a question of if all of it works. Mm-hmm. I would say for me, though, it does, uh, partially because I didn't expect it to go the way it does. Mm-hmm. You know, I I was dialed into these characters, and especially our main character and his, like, kind of dance with madness and how his friends around him are handling it. Um, but what I really didn't expect was this hunt, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, we've got a pretty brisk runtime here, 120-something minutes. Yeah. And no, I, I feel like the funeral... An hour and 20 minutes, yeah. What, what did I say? Yeah, yeah. 120. Right. <laughs> hour 20. <laughs> a bit different. A little bit different. Yeah. Hour and 20 minutes. Um, I do think the film acutely picks its moments, and I think it does so at the right time with not really slowing down too much. Like, you know, you could maybe feel like... there. Are, I could see someone complaining that there's maybe some lulls here and there, but I do feel like anytime it feels like there's a lull, then something kicks up, like... I didn't expect this whole murder mystery thing to really hap- go through it, mm-hmm. right? I thought we were just going to follow this character until he becomes kind of mm-hmm. the murderer that he was being convicted of being. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I didn't expect like this whole mystery to all be solved and all that stuff. But I was glad when it did, like especially the the turns it took with spears and like <laughs> the torture. I was down mm-hmm. for it, man. <laughs> oh no, I know I'm with you. Um, I, I I didn't expect that Cobb was going to be the bad guy. Actually, uh, yeah. uh, like I just expected that he was powerless at the beginning. So it did a good job at not playing all of its cards too soon. Now you knew something was up with Cobb as soon as he started professing his love uh, oh. <laughs> for Helen. Right? But it happens so much in these movies. I almost like didn't ban. Yeah, it's, it, exactly. Though <laughs> it's like, oh, we have another love triangle. But this love triangle just happens to have a murderer involved, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I agree that the film doesn't slow down too much. I think after Jeffrey and Helen's first meetup, we do get a bit of a slowdown. And that might just be because of what what I think about those moments. I feel like we could have done more with those moments between Jeffrey and Helen, but I'll, I'll get there in a second. I think the mystery of this film becomes whether or not we can trust Jeffrey after he's gone mad because Jeffrey believes that Cobb is the murderer and we need to trust Jeffrey if we're going to believe that because as I just said 
we haven't seen that anything that that leads us to believe that Cobb would be the murderer. Like, what mm-hmm. evidence does Jeffrey have that we can use to start accuse Cobb ourselves? Unfortunately, his invisibility, Jeffrey's invisibility, does drive him into madness, and he has to resort to violence to get the information he needs. I don't think any of the evidence that he got would have held up in a court of law. So I don't know at the end why everybody's kind of on Jeffrey's side if they didn't believe him to begin with. That part doesn't really make sense Mm, to me, Yeah, right? Like, they're not going to be, like, he just... If anybody looking on the outside would just say he's coerced these these people into saying what he's wanted them to say, you know, uh, if you didn't believe him in the first place, if you thought he was the bad guy in the first place, you would just think he's coerced everybody else. Um, so that's it's interesting. And I think it does take a little bit of sympathy away from him. Not that um, he was under his own control at that point. Right. Like we know that's not who Jeffrey is, but I still think using violence in that sort of way, you're starting to be like, oh man, we're kind of on this gray area line, right? Um, But my main criticism of the film is the relationship between Jeffrey and Helen. I think there was a great moment um, to be had. You're right. Whenever Jeffrey is is building up sympathy for his character, he has some self-deprecating jokes as he talks with Helen. But then once they separate, we never, I never feel like, there's much of a dynamic between them. I think their individual performances are, are there, but I don't see any spark in that relationship. Like the one that we saw in Dracula's daughter. Yeah. Did, did you have any reservations about this? You know, I, I didn't actually even think of this actually, mm-hmm. but you know, now that you've said it, I do think you make a really good point. Um, I would say that the Jeffrey and Helen relationship is weak. Um, like you said, I, I, I didn't, again, I didn't really notice it, but her presence in the movie overall, I guess it's less active and more reactive to everything around her. You know, she, I kind of felt like she acted pretty practically, you know, to the world around her. Uh, kind of just like, you know, we as viewers are, um, she's reasonable. And other than that, she's just a vehicle for us. And I would say that that's kind of all there is to her in a lot of ways. Um, Mm. But, you know, she's trusting. She's patient with him. Like, she just wants to help. And, you know, I think as a viewer, we know what's causing his madness. And so, you know, we would like that. We would like, you know, things to work out for him as well. Now, I think, I do think Cobb is an interesting character as well, but, I have to say, one of my favorite characters is the effects in this one, actually. Mm -hmm. You know, for me, they're still pretty great. Now, this time, I did notice some more interesting missteps. Like, I could see some wiring, especially when the gun is being held, um, that I don't feel like I noticed as much in the original movie. Now, whether I just overlooked it because of the black and white or what, Mm -hmm. but I just didn't feel like I quite noticed some of the edges, I guess, with the wires. But there's some standout moments in this one, like the cigar moment in particular, where he blows the smoke and we see the invisible man's in the smoke. Mm-hmm. Uh, very cool. You know, the torture of Spears is actually really great when he oh, knocks yeah. him down in one shot, he knocks him down and then the back of his uh, shirt pulls up and he gets dragged and dunked into the water. Mm-hmm. Um, all in one shot. It's very cool. I really liked it. It's just so creative. Mm-hmm. I, I think they really had a blast with some of these moments, though. Like, what what did you think of these? Uh, yeah, I'm with you. Uh, 
I think there's interesting pieces when it comes to the effects here, especially like whenever uh, the Invisible Man steps out into the rain and we kind of get this outline of Mm -hmm. him. Some of those were awesome. And like the smoke um, reveal was really cool. But I don't think we got as many kind of stunts in a way. And I don't think it's really technically more impressive than the last one, which isn't a huge criticism for me because I don't think that all sequels have to surpass the the prior one in terms of effects, right? And I actually do think this film attempts to to kind of push the bar in terms of narrative. So I'm not necessarily criticizing it too much, but I do think the first one was more technically impressive um, for its time, especially. Uh, and as the predecessor, uh, I think it still outshines this one. Hmm. Yeah, I think there's a pretty good argument for that. And it's also, frankly, just more novel the first time as well. Yeah, yeah. That That's another part of it, too. It's like, okay, we've kind of seen some of this before. <laughs> uh, well, hey, on MVM Plus today, over on patreon.com forward slash MVM pod, we are talking about the Super Bowl trailers. Um, a few that <laughs> a few that we've seen, a few that Alex hasn't seen but needs to see. Uh, and we get into a whole bunch of shenanigans and why, on this week's MVM And why Plus. elves are so uninteresting. Your, <laughs> your elves? Elves are lame. <laughs> Alex is already stirring the pot over here on the regular <laughs> channel. <laughs> oh, look, I got pointy ears. <laughs> All right, Alex. Let's save it for MVM Plus where we really... You know, get into the weeds. <laughs> uh, but for now, let's get into our awards. Uh, compelling character award. Who'd you have? Uh, I had to give it to Griffin. Mm. Uh, I think that he's actually really an interesting character. You know, he, I feel like when I sit back and I think about this movie, he kind of fades into the background. But when I was watching this movie, I kept thinking, like, you know, his, his motivations are actually pretty interesting, right? He's had this horrible experience happen to his brother uh, from the last film. And, you know, he's got these really admirable goals that have come up from this bad situation. Now, does he use it to break a man out of prison? Yes. And then he is. He but is rightfully nice. so, right? Rightfully like, so, if this guy right. is innocent, then all right. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of how I feel as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but I think he's a very noble character. He just wants to do what's, what's right. But then, you know, he's also, also he's under a deadline, right? He just can't make the cure happen, which is really cool in this movie. Like, he never actually comes up with a solution. Nope. <laughs> he just happens to stumble upon it. But the cool yeah. thing about the solution that mm-hmm. works out, it actually makes complete sense. <laughs> It was a pretty. It does. It, that was actually another cool effect. Um, it was at first, so I was awesome. like, "What's going on?" But then, as it started to reveal itself, I was like, "That's actually really cool, <laughs> right?" It, it was. It was so prolonged too that it was a slow sort of effect, and it, that made it more impressive actually than if it were faster, right? Yeah. Um, so it was, it was. That was interesting. That was interesting to me. What about and you? I. I, I, well, I like. Dr. Griffin quite a bit. And I did like that connection back to the first film. That's really our tie in. Um, because other than that, this is a separate sort of invisible man story, mm-hmm. you know, um, completely different characters, uh, completely different motivations. 
So that was a good tie-in. I, I like that we had that just to make those connections. My most compelling character, though, was Samson. Samson <laughs> um, kind of goes wherever the narrative takes him. And he's yes. he's always interested in finding the twists and turns. And he's he's quick to trust. And he's also, like, whenever he starts to suspect that Cobb could be involved somehow, the way that he kind of plays Cobb and protects Cobb, but also keeps Cobb under his control is really interesting. Um, he also, he's not manipulative, I would say, but he takes advantage of situations in, in ways that are beneficial to him. Um, and he, he finds his job. You can tell that he like enjoys his work and finds it incredibly interesting and satisfying, (laughs) which I appreciate. Yes. This man loves his job. He's never worked a day. Whenever he finds out, whenever he finds out that Jeffrey has escaped, he is excited. (laughs) (laughs) He really is. (laughs) He is like, this is amazing. (laughs) I love my life. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) What about your most memorable line award? So mine comes from Jeffrey and it's in the dinner scene, which I liked. I like that dinner scene where he slowly, um, his anger starts to build where it's him, Helen and Griffin together. And it's towards the end of that scene. Um, Griffin's been trying to get him to toast to, to uh, their friendship basically. And Griffin states, I don't want friends. I should have worshipers and followers, people, people who will obey me because they recognize my greatness. Yeah. I just thought that did a nice job at summarizing the purpose of this podcast, Alex. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I think it's an admirable goal. We just want worshipers and followers over here, right? <laughs> we're, yeah. we're not about friendship. We just, we're just looking for the followers. Just follow us on Instagram, by the way, at MVM underscore pod. Yep. And, <laughs> and if you pray, and if you pray to us at night, well, you do you. Yeah. And <laughs> but look, also, we don't want to meet you. <laughs> no, no, we not. We look. We're gonna. You can follow us from a distance, you know, and you'll just recognize our greatness from a distance. Whatever that restraining order on its way to you right now says, stay away. <laughs> <laughs> no, but in all seriousness, though, that quote I thought was cool um, <laughs> because. I mean, I think that is the total mindset of somebody who has been taken over by this thirst for power, right? They're starting Uh to feel like nothing can touch them. They don't feel like they need friends. Like whenever you feel like you have things within your control and that you are the source of all good in your own life, that's when you run into problems. And that's Uh the problem that he's run into. No fault of his own. Right, but still the problem that he runs into. Right. Hmm. What about you? Yeah, I think I. So my favorite line, I can't remember who it was. It was one of the police officers. Um, I'm not even sure if he was. No, I, uh, was this the the innkeeper that, or the where he was where they were staying, Helen and uh, Jeffrey? Yeah, I think actually, yeah, I think you're right. And he says uh, he's talking to the police captain, or I think yeah. actually he's talking to Samson, maybe. And he says, uh, he's talking to him, like, you know, they got the invisible man up there. And they're like saying, like, you know, don't, ta- don't let him take off his clothes. He's like, take off his clothes? He won't do that, sir. 
there's a lady with him. Just <laughs> the confidence that this man will not take his clothes off. Yeah. There's a- <laughs> yeah, there's a man and a woman alone upstairs. There's no way. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It's just like it, it, the confidence that it's delivered with is just perfect. Yeah, like, it's great. Th- this movie, I think, does its comedy better. It does mm. it less than the other movie does in terms of attempts, mm. but I think it hits way more than the other film did. Mm. What do you okay. think? Oh, I heard a little grumble mm. over there. What was mm. that about? See, I, I I enjoyed the slapstick in in the first, and oh and look, right. I forgot you enjoyed that. I, look, I like I like me some Una, okay? So oh, you can't take her away from uh, me. <laughs> oh. She's already been taken away. <laughs> what about you can't believe the acting award, Alex? Um, yeah, I, I gotta give it to, you know, pretty generic over here this week, but Vincent Price is Gregory Radcliffe. Mm-hmm. I think he does a wonderful job, especially in the early moments, portraying a you know, a kind-hearted guy making jokes while very quickly snapping to another personality. You know, this duality that comes with being the Invisible Man. And, and by G- like, Gregory, you mean Jeffrey, by the way. I did. Why did I write? <laughs> and not only did I write Gregory, I wrote Geoggery. So you wrote this Jeffrey. Is just, you wrote Jeffrey. How he's spelled in the movie with two G's instead of two F's. <laughs> I did, so I was one keystroke away. That's what it was. Okay. Oh, my goodness. And then how did it not correct? Like, how did it not underline this and say, like, yeah, this is totally not. It's because it's capital G, I think. Anyway, so Geoggery, Radcliffe. Um, I just think, he, you know, he portrays that duality well. And so he's got to get my can't believe that acting award. Mm. I think it's a good choice. Because uh, even in the scenes where... He's fully wrapped. He he portrays this slow descent into madness, I think, really well. Um, mine is a character that I said I don't appreciate the dynamic between Jeffrey and this character. But I do pre- appreciate the individual performance. Uh, this is Nan Gray as Helen. You mentioned that Nan Gray, or you mentioned that Helen kind of served more as a reaction, kind of like the audience to the things happening. And we, we mentioned last week, that this was definitely the case with Frankenstein's wife in The Son of Frankenstein. Mm. I don't think that's as much the case here. I, I think that's okay. selling Nan Gray a little bit short as Helen. I think she gives a subtle performance. I do. I think that's actually what impresses me is that she's able to remain subtle while still share emotion. I don't feel the emotion as much when they're together as when they're apart. Um and just her reactions to Cobb, for example, um, or her reactions to even to um, Griffin when uh, at the beginning when they're going over the plan. These these things she she gives a performance that that is believable to me, whereas a couple others might not as much. Which leads me uh, into a award that I'll talk about in a little bit. Let's do oh that's a good shot award though first. What's yours, uh, Alex? Yeah, I mentioned it earlier. Um, you know, I, I, this is once again, I keep, I feel like I've said this several times over the last few weeks, but cinematography isn't really being focused on quite as much again. Mm-hmm. But I want to give it to the long shot of uh, Spears being choked out, dragged to the water by an invisible man, and then dunked by the invisible man. It's such a wonderful showcase for the effects. 
that is going to stick with me. I just thought it was so cool. I, just, I was very impressed by it. Yeah. No, that was, that was great. Um, I thought about giving this to the uh, hamster, invisible hamster effect, Alex. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I did like that one. That one was funny. Uh, but really, the most impressive shot to me is in the opening moments, right after the credits, uh, at the beginning of the film, we get an establishing shot of the Radcliffe household, I believe, the Radcliffe Manor. And it starts, it goes within the gates. And the gates, the way that the camera moves and the way that the gates are framed there and the lock on the gate shows you a mysterious element right off the bat. And then it zooms in and fades in uh, to the kitchen area uh, within this Radcliffe household. And then the camera moves up to the clock, which says six o'clock. It's just a slow moving camera. Um, doing a couple interesting things and establishing the scene, but it also builds that tension. And immediately we find out that why are we looking at this clock? Well, the next line talks about how in two hours, an innocent man is going to be put to death. Mm-hmm. And so I love that opening shot. Um, that one hooked me immediately. So if you can do that in your, in your very first sequence of, of the film, you're doing something right. Mm, I agree. I agree. So Eric, Unique mm-hmm. awards. What do you got for us? Yeah, so I mentioned this earlier. I thought Helen was able to play it cool throughout the film, but my most unable to play it cool award goes to Griffin. Um, <laughs> Griffin it gets in these complicated situations throughout, you know, whether it's with Samson and trying to just like play it cool, like he doesn't know anything that's going on, or he's trying to get Jeffrey to drink his uh, wine, you know, so that he can drug him. He's just unable to play it cool anytime. He can't do it. He can't <laughs> he can't do it. Do it. Um, he's going to potentially uh, uh, give Jeffrey the antidote and he's hesitating. And it turns out playing it cool saved Jeffrey's life in the end. So I guess it works out for him, but he was unable to play it cool. <laughs> Very true. How about you? Yeah, I get the. I uh, this is my award the the we think too much alike award, and I'm giving it to my man Cobb. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I thought you might give it to to Mad Jeffrey, who wants worshippers and followers. But oh no, no, no! This is going to Cobb, and that's because the the scene where he takes him. Uh, the Invisible Man takes him back to where he's holding Pierce and he's got the noose around his neck. Mm. And I was like, if he's on a chair, if I was Cobb, I would kick it out. And as soon as I thought that, he kicked it out. I was like, man, we are on the same wavelength. Wow. That is <laughs> a great award to give. <laughs> I love whenever you find stuff in common with the main villain. Yep. <laughs> no, but that Very honestly relatable. was a, that was a cool moment. Um, and it was a smart moment by Cobb. Uh, and also smart to turn off the lights, right? To cut it off, yeah. <laughs> to try to take away the advantage. Of course, Jeffrey just laughs, um, which I thought was cool too, right? Like, yeah. you're not stopping me <laughs> just because you turn off the lights. I thought that was cool. Yeah, um, that was very cool. What about your final thoughts, Alex? And where does this rank in our tiers? Is it a Gabra, Gamera, or Godzilla tiered? universal horror movie 
Yeah, so I can't remember what I gave Invisible Man. I think I gave that my first official Godzilla rating. Um, and I gotta say, like, my expectations for this series have been that the sequels were going to be worse than the originals. Mm-hmm. And I'm pleasantly surprised, again, you know, it follows the same trend as Dracula and Frankenstein. Both of those movies were excellent follow-ups. This is the same... I, I feel the exact same way about this film. And I like The Invisible Man quite a bit. So to like this one even more, uh, I got to give it props, man. It did a lot of things I didn't expect. I actually liked The Invisible Man this time around before he went nuts. So it took most of my criticisms uh, of the previous film. And once again, it corrected. It it did everything right for me. So uh, this is going to be another Godzilla tier for me. Uh, I give this one props for you know, making the adjustments. Nice. Yeah. Um, I can see that. I can see that. I can't remember if you gave invisible man, a Godzilla tier or it was upper gamma tier. I can't either. Um, it's about the same as the last one, even though I like this one more. Well, I know a couple weeks ago in our discussion of Dracula's daughter, our discussion moved my initial gamma, uh, high gamma, tier ranking into Godzilla tier for Dracula's daughter, which I do think it deserves. It's so uh, good. Cause I've really, I really like Dracula's daughter, but I, I think honestly for me, as I was thinking about just how I connected with this movie, this is uh, still a solid camera tier film for me. Uh, I, I do have, I didn't quite buy all the connections that I wanted to in the film. So that I didn't end up feeling as much. I was intrigued, uh, but there wasn't as much emotion behind those feelings. I thought the first 30 minutes of the film, kind of the breakout of prison, um, the entire man on death row, got to get him out of here sequence. It, it, that's all incredibly interesting to me. Unfortunately, it becomes less interesting because we don't have some of those connections that I wanted to see. I also do think it's a slight step back, not a huge step back, but a slight step back from the effects that we saw in the original. I like that we get a completely new story, though. Um, and I like the fact that the narrative is is pushing forward in, in a direction that we haven't seen quite yet in this Universal series. So I do like this film. It's going to be a gamma tier film for me, though. Sweet. Awesome. All right. Next week, Alex, we've got the mummy's hand. So another sequel. I, I hope this is similar to the other ones where I'm liking the sequels more. Yeah. Uh, for we'll sure. <laughs> um, so yeah. So ne- I guess next, so ne- next week's the mummy's hand. I just hope it's not bland, but one thing's for sure. There's going to be plenty of sand. Oh, that was a good one. That was a good one. You prepared that one. <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> what? No. Yeah, that was good. Uh, I'm proud of myself. <laughs> yeah, that was good. That was good. Oh man, how did I not think of sand with hand? I'm trying. Well, give me a second here. Um, oh my god, I didn't prepare, Alex. Uh, the next week, the mummy's hand is on demand. Um, will we see that the film was carefully planned? Or will it be like a garage band? Some people like garage bands. <laughs> <laughs> True. 
<laughs> but they are thrown together and not necessarily ah. carefully planned, Alex. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. But yeah, we'll see. It could, yeah, and some people like those types of movies, which could be cool too. So we'll see. <laughs> yeah, and the garage bands are usually frequently hired on demand. There you go. <laughs> there you go. As always, thank you for listening to Monsters vs. Men. We do want to hear from you. Email us at mvmpod at gmail.com or go to mvmpod.com to leave us your feedback on The Invisible Man Returns. You can send us your thoughts and we'll read them on the show. You can also follow us and message us on Twitter and Instagram at mvm underscore pod. You can also become a bargain base my at patreon.com forward slash mvmpod and receive weekly bonus content, including special reviews, interviews, and host chats. And if you can't help monetarily at this time, a review on your favorite podcasting platform always helps. Monsters vs. Men is produced by Alex Cornette. Executive producers are Faye Basier and Michael Herndon. Special thanks to our wives, comma, rock band for PlayStation 3, which forms Cell Block B, Louis Loops, Senior Honda, Drew the Collector, our Instagram connector, and you, the listener, for listening. Until next time, don't yell at your neighbor's dog. <laughs> <laughs> and try, try to, to stay, stay alive. Mafia, wake up, wake up. You have created a monster and it will destroy you. So do something naked related, but I think we had enough of that at the front. I thought I, yeah. I, I was worried you'd give me a hard time. I think you overstayed your welcome uh, with those naked jokes, Alex. Yeah, I shouldn't extend it anymore, that's for sure.